या देवी सर्वभूतेशु मातृरूपेण संस्थिता नमस्त 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 नमो नमः I bow to the Divine Mother in all forms and in your forms. I would like to read to you a very interesting conversation from Conversations with Yogananda. What, one may ask, was the Master's mission? It was broadly based. Above all, it was intended for those, whether married or single, who understood the need to make truth and therefore God their priority. His mission also was to establish ideals of equal validity for both householders and renunciates. He came, again, as I have indicated already, to show the underlying oneness of all religions by emphasizing self-realization in God. His mission, however, like ripples on a pond into which some heavy object has been dropped, spread outward in all directions for he came to uplift the whole of society. For example, another reason he came was in to introduce into the schools a more balanced system of education, emphasizing spiritual training and character development rather than mundane facts that prepare youngsters for their future worldly careers. He came to show people everywhere in business, in the professions, in trade, in the arts, that the inclusion of spiritual principles in whatever they did would enable them to thrive, even financially. He came to show that the arts both can and should be a means of inspiring people and not merely of entertaining them. He came to show that truth need not be declared in angry protest against some social injustice or error, that it can be revealed joyfully as an aid toward people's own enlightenment. In conclusion, his mission was to show all humanity that human life should be a divine service, that its true purpose is not self-aggrandizement and is not living for number one, as the saying goes, living for ego, in other words, but living with self-expansive ideals. In short, his mission was by no means only to establish a monastery, as some people have claimed, in that was an activity that he himself postponed for years in order to address more pressing needs, and that he left finally to develop, be developed by others. And in fact, it was I who developed it. His mission was to uplift and spiritualize all society. For all these purposes, earnest workers were needed, and not only meditating monks and nuns. It was as though he viewed the high truths he had brought to the world as a flow downward from the spiritual heights, like the Ganges descending from the lofty Himalayas to the plains below, and from there on to the sea. First in this downward flow was Babaji's commission to Lahiri Mahajai. Babaji, though world remote like the god Shiva, responded to people's desire for enlightenment in both east and west. Vibrations that he, that, he said, came to him flood-like from afar. The line of gurus brought the teachings out progressively into the world. That progression ended in Paramahansa Yogananda, who had the charge of bringing those divine teachings to society itself.
The master told me of a discussion he'd had with his guru, Swami Sri Yukteswar, in 1935. He said, I saw how badly his ashram was in need of proper care. There was a loose tile on the roof which my master had said to me many years earlier would be safe there as long as I'm alive. In fact, it fell down the day of his death. I offered on my return to India to pay for the need for needed repairs. Don't bother with them, my guru answered. That is your world out there. My world is here. See, I have my bed and my meditation seat. That is all I need. Swami Sri didn't intend his statement to be a criticism of his disciple. He wasn't accusing him of worldly attachment. Rather, the work his disciple was doing out there was his ordained duty. It was simply not his guru's own duty. The master emphasized the need for workers in the field. To me, speaking of his school in Ranchi, he said, I found that most of the boys, after receiving a spiritual education, went back to their families and to a worldly life. They took jobs, married, and became to all intents and purposes lost to this greater cause, which they might otherwise have served. What we have now is better. People come to us of their own accord after they've grown up and are free to make their own life decisions. In this way we can train them wholly in our ideals. This is what the world needs now. From these words, as well as from other conversations I had with him, I understood that his interest was not only in attracting souls who had a desire to dedicate themselves to seeking God, but also those who would serve his mission. He made it clear to me that what he wanted of me particularly was active service, not withdrawal into the hermit's life for which, in fact, I had a deep longing. Your life, he told me, will be one of intense activity and meditation. It is noteworthy that he placed meditation second. He also told me once, God won't come to you until the end of life. Death itself is the final sacrifice you have to make. Often, at least in his talks with me, he referred to the spiritual life as martyrdom. Thus we see that for any real understanding of his mission on earth, we must see it in a very broad and not in narrow terms, whether monastic or householder. He came literally for the world, and sought those also who wanted to help him to serve all humanity. Obviously, he sought those above all who wanted enlightenment. But among those sincere seekers of God and enlightenment, he hoped to find a few who were willing to seek enlightenment not only for themselves, but also for others, indeed who thought in terms of universal enlightenment. Thus he said to me once, Pray to God, reveal thyself, that I may give them to all, give thee to all. That is the highest prayer. I have already quoted the words he addressed to me, and you mustn't disappoint me. His need was for willing workers to aid him with his mission, and not for those alone who wanted spiritual development for themselves. That was a very interesting comment, and in the context of this book, I can refer the reader back to an earlier saying, but what he said was, this was out of his desert retreat, and uh, one time he said to me very seriously, 
of the men disciples, only St. Lin Rajashi has not disappointed me, and you mustn't disappoint me. And the strength with which he said that, I thought, well, he's had good men disciples. But it's true, as I reflected on his life, they didn't have, they had the desire for their own enlightenment, but they didn't have the desire to share with others. And this is much more of a masculine kind of thing than a feminine thing. The feminine thing, even the feminine sex organs, are inside. The male are outside, as he pointed out. The male energy is to go out with things. The female energy is to take it inside and to understand it in terms of self, family, dear ones, and so on. These are two qualities which uh, people can cross the lines in one way or another, but basically it's a masculine thing to do, to be a warrior and to spread these teachings and to spread truth to the world. And I have seen in his own life, the, the, for instance, I was the only man on the board of directors, and the women on that board of directors simply could not understand or appreciate what I was trying to do. I was so eager to get his work out, but he told me that's what he wanted. And I remember as I reflect back that when I came to him, it was with a twofold purpose. I wanted God desperately for myself, but I also felt that in this world where nobody thinks of God, I want to help others with this message. He's brought some truth that I've been looking for, not just for me, but for other people. Always when I was seeking, what is life all about? What, what do I want in life? Always, it was never just for me. It was always for, how can I help the world to be different? I knew it was a delusion. I, I entertained it deliberately as a delusion. And by that I mean I knew that the world will not change. A few individuals in it will. But if I put enough energy out, at least those who are in tune with it will hear the call and listen. And it has been so in my life. I have been able, by His grace, to found communities where now about a thousand people live in them. I believe here in India that I will be able to start with many thousands I believe that this will change the world in ways that nothing else can, but let's face it, and I've always known this true to be true, it won't really change. Individuals are finally the, the real work of God. But still, he wanted to bring this truth out to the world, and it was his mission to do so. And so in my work, too, for example, he started his school in Ranji. I wrote a book, Education for Life, We've started schools in America where in this country his schools have been, they made the great mistake of saying, well, if we put up a certain number of rupees, the government will match it with an equal number of rupees. You know, if the government gives you one paisa, they own you. That was a terrible mistake they made. Now, the schools that he founded, that my guru founded in India, they don't teach God. They teach career. They teach intellectual things. They teach the normal, ordinary curriculum. But in our schools, I have awakened that again with our living wisdom schools, as we call them, teaching this education for life, for how to live, so that you can have peace of mind and wisdom and love of God and love of truth and love of your fellow man. These we teach, these children. And you know the wonderful thing is that when these children from our Ananda schools, our living wisdom schools, have gone on to other schools, 
maybe because they went to a higher grade, maybe because their parents moved away. In just about every case that I can think of, they have become shining examples. The top of their class, leaders in their student body, and as adults, they have become balanced and fine people. So it shows that teaching them values, spiritual values above all, teaching them how to live for truth, this does not take away their ability to learn mathematics and how to become a good merchant and all those things. Rather, you become more efficient in every department. And this is a very important truth that I have been, with His grace, able to promulgate so that even though what He started hasn't succeeded, I hope someday it will go back to what He had. I would like to help make it be that. But nonetheless, I have been able to preserve that. You know, one person's life, how little? You can only do a little bit. But I've tried through my books, through my music, through the arts, to show how spiritual principles, for instance, in my music, my music isn't entertainment. I was listening to some recording of classical music the other day, Western classical music, which I grew up with and love. But I was thinking, the music God has given me I like better. Because it isn't mine. It isn't entertainment. It isn't just showing the usual worldly power, courage, all these things. It's giving inspiration. And many people have said this. I've often asked people, why did you come to Ananda Sangha? Many people have answered, because of the music. That's why I have these songs, Philosophy in Song. How to bring truth into poetry that you can sing, and how to make that song a melody that fits that poetry and helps to uplift your consciousness. Well, these are among the few things that I have tried in my poor little life to bring out of his teaching. I have no other interest than manifesting what he brought into this world on these different levels. But I have been, I have been with his grace successful in several ways. I have shown through business. I've shown through leadership, I've shown through schools, through uh, art, through music. I've shown that you can tune in, and uh, through this you can do things successfully and in a way that will lift people's consciousness instead of only thinking about money. I was giving a lecture one time, oh, a few years ago, at a breakfast club for businessmen. And after my lecture, it was amusing. Because somebody before the MC or the person who was hosting me could stand up and thank me for my talk. This man rushed up to the microphone. He said, I'm, I've suddenly realized who this person is that we've been listening to. He said he wrote a book called The Art of Supportive Leadership. And I have bought this book in hundreds and given it to people because my job in life is helping people to, re to resuscitate failing companies and make them successful again. And through this book, I've been able to show them how to lead in such a way that will help people and not just think in terms of profit. Well, again and again, I have seen, not by my skill or intelligence, but because I have been willing to open myself to him, I have seen that I've been able to do my little bit to further his mission, which has been to change people's consciousness and to lift all of society up into a greater closeness to God. We're still living in a materialistic age, but it can be better. 
and you can do your part to make it better. This is a war where light and darkness are at war with one another, an age in which they're at war with one another. Fight for the angels. Fight for the forces of light. And God will bless you for doing so. I would like to read to you, to sing to you, or I'd like our, our singers to sing a song. It's a funny song, but there's a lot of truth in it too. Boxes, more boxes, no thank you, Lord. Thank you. A sailor from England remarked to a foe The reason we win is we pray as we go Yeah, but we press well and just look at our dead Ah, but we pray in English The Englishman said I, my, me, mine I, my, me, mine little box ever hold a sled a pony and a tree puzzles my poor head it can't my friend but in a tiny baby's mind this mighty world becomes a little box instead well as i grew older my box grew too held airplanes and ships and a birch canoe and school books of foreign trip and college proms good times and friends are plenty yes and also you but somehow in this box would only fit one school one family one country and one social rule and certainly one church or only my ways right and anyone with other ways is just a fool well so i used to think but now i must confess at judging fools i wasn't any great success truth somehow lived without me Though I called it mine, what box could hold the world is just preposterous. 